0: Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness Because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Father, these Spirit-inspired words penned by Paul are among the most profound in all Scripture. I truly feel as though this morning we have come into the Holy of Holies. We have come before the throne of grace, before the mercy seat. That we bend the knee and humbly bow to recognize what You have accomplished. And I pray that our recognition, Father, would expand with revelation this morning. That our hearts would get this, not just our heads, Father, Not just the the soul man, the soul woman among us, but that our hearts would take in. How marvelous, how wonderful, how vast is the demonstration of Your love, Your mercy, and Father, Your righteousness. Thank You, Father, for giving us this Word. I pray You will reach deep into our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. His father was a banker, but he slept in a barrel. In the 4th century BC, he rejected all forms of social values and customs. He, he made a virtue out of poverty. It was said that he dogged Plato, interrupting his lectures. He even publicly mocked Alexander the Great. He became known as the archetype of the Greek school of philosophy called Cynicism. And his name was Diogenes. Diogenes. There's even a psychological condition named after him today called Diogenes Syndrome. Characterized by self-neglect, domestic squalor, social withdrawal, and apathy. Diogenes Syndrome. I've had it the last couple of three days. I mean, some days you just want to stay in your pajamas, don't you? Eat sugar cereal and binge watch Netflix? I get it. I understand that. But what if one day turns into two? Turns into five? Turns into weeks? Next thing you know, you're slubbing around. Unwashed, unshaved, wearing raggedy old sweats with a ramen noodle hanging off your hoodie. The Hershey wrapper stuck to your pants. We would call that neglect. But I believe there is a neglect that is far more serious. In the world, even to a degree in the church today. Now listen. Listen. After declaring Jesus Christ to be the one in whom God has spoken to us in these last days. After declaring Jesus to be the radiance of His glory, the exact representation of His nature, and the authority whose enemies would be made into a footstool for His feet. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1 goes on to say for this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard. So that we do not drift away. For if the words spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? That's the question we ended on Wednesday night. Salvation in neglect? I mean, my friends, I would never in my right mind show up to preach unwashed, unkempt, wearing dorm pants and a Carolina Panthers sweatshirt. (laughs) Hey, you gotta choose someone to root for, right? And most people avoid personal neglect. And we don't neglect the care for our cars, we don't neglect taking care of our homes, our pets, our families. We rightly have laws against child neglect. But do we neglect so great a salvation? I've had to ask myself that question this week. Have I been guilty of being in neglect of so great a salvation? The scale here is not physical. The scale is spiritual. It's not temporal. It's eternal. It is the greatest issue for humanity. What will happen when the brief time that we have on this earth is done? That's the big question. That's the one that matters, and yet it's that question. It's so great a salvation offered by our Creator that has fallen into neglect. People shun it, don't think about it, set it aside. And even Christians, gang, when we talk about salvation, we're not just talking about a better way of life. We're not just talking about an alignment with morality. When we talk about salvation, it is the biggest, most significant news ever to hit the planet. Do we neglect so great a salvation? In Romans 3, Paul turns a sharp Corner. It's a hairpin turn. Listen to this. Back in chapter 3, verse 10, he's quoting seven different passages from the Hebrew scriptures saying, There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. And Paul goes on, he says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed, and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So whether you're outside the law or under the law, guilty. And these first three chapters of Romans... Paul lays it on thick to make it absolutely clear that no flesh is worthy or righteous or clean or good before God. No flesh. But, as we talked about last Sunday, if you are in Jesus, this entire section of Scripture does not apply. It's not for you. It's not about you if you are in Jesus Christ. It's the syndrome of neglect that causes what Paul shares in verses 21 and 22. But now... Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. I'm not sure there's more sharp a turn in all of Scripture to come out of complete abject condemnation and suddenly to spin around and we are now among the saved. We read this Wednesday night, and and even just reading it again, I get pumped. I get excited. This is so great a salvation. Suddenly, the raggedy old sweats are turned in for fine linen, bright and clean. Revelation 19, verse 10 tells us, verse 8 actually. Suddenly, I am wearing, get this, I am wearing the righteousness of God. Whereas before, all I had were filthy rags, Isaiah the prophet tells us. The righteousness of God, the highest of all standards, once only understood to be God's alone, now adorns those who have faith in Jesus Christ, who put their trust in Jesus and this verse we've heard over and over across the years so profound 2 Corinthians 5:21 he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of god in him what does that mean for us it means if you're in jesus you're perfect you're flawless in integrity in purity in virtue, in holiness. And you might say, well, I don't feel that way, Rick. But that's how God sees you if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. That is how you look to the Father. Simply by trusting in the Son. Righteous. I know that's hard to take. For some days, it's harder for me to take than other days. That I am righteous before God, how is that possible? In fact, I think that's impossible. And Jesus said Matthew 19:26 with people, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And this is the point of Romans 1 through3, and now turning into this last part of chapter three, especially verses 23 through 26, Paul unleashes the lion's share of salvation for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith i got to be honest I've read those verses I don't know, hundreds of times growing up as a kid that was a, that was a place where we sat over and over and I never got it just sounded religious to me. Okay, I understand these pastors would quote this this Romans three twenty three through twenty six, and I go, "Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord." When's lunch? <laughs> and neglected so great a salvation. Sometimes it's not until we stop and say, "Wait a minute, I know I've read this. What is he saying here?" It's not until we pause that we start to recognize how absolutely breathtaking this is. Paul here rolls out, in my mind, the most rich, concise, brilliantly explained, brilliantly stated explanation of salvation in all of his letters. And he does it around just four words. And if you're taking notes, you can jot these down or they're right there in your Bible. Justification, redemption, propitiation, and demonstration. Justification, redemption, propitiation, demonstration. Now, I'm not going to talk about propitiation this morning. We're just going to skip that one. We covered it Wednesday night. We talked about what propitiation truly means. But I'll tell you this much. It is a concept that every single follower of Jesus Christ should have down. Did you just say should? Did you just use an ought? Yes, I did. We should understand and know and be able to explain what propitiation is. How many can describe it? How how many can give language to it? Who who can explain how propitiation works? And if you're among those who, who... I'm not sure... If not, then my question to you this morning is, why not? Why not? Why can't you describe propitiation? Is it perhaps because, and I don't blame you, but is it perhaps because the church is suffering from neglect? So basic a concept of salvation... That again, should be known, should be understood. And I'm talking to pastors and church leaders and the whole body of Christ. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Bridge Fellowship, I call on you not to be a people who just assume it's all going to be done. Assume it's taken care of. But to be a people who dig in to understand what it is God has done, why I bear the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, what this all really means. I don't want a bunch of head cases. I'm not inviting you to be scholars, but to be a people who understand what God has done for them. And to be able to explain it. Propitiation is a great word. It's a head turner. Seriously, you're at coffee at Starbucks and you say, hey, how do you feel about propitiation? Excuse me? It is a word we should know. Well, Rick, why don't you just tell us now? As my dad used to tell me before youth basketball games, son, you got to want it. So if you want to know, go get it. Go listen to Wednesday night's teaching. Study it out. Study to show yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. And one of those words of truth is propitiation. Bridge Fellowship, I challenge you to know the word and to understand it. For our purposes this morning, we're leaving it out. We're going to move on. We're going to look at these other concepts to understand them. And the first one, picking up in verse 24, being justified as a gift by His grace. Justification. Justification. Justification in the Greek is the word dikaiouo. Dikaiouo, which literally means to make righteous or to establish as being right. But understand this, it's a legal term. In the Greek, as in the English, justification, to be justified, it's a legal term. To be justified is to be made right according to law. I don't know if you've been paying attention to this, but the infamous O.J. Simpson trial is back in the news. Back in 1995, the country was captivated. You may have been around and watching this, watching the the white Bronco rolling down the freeway. You know, th- this, is how, this is how things have changed since then. Here we are 2015, 2016 now, so what, 21 years later. And we were captivated watching our TVs as this Bronco drove the freeways of Southern California, followed by police officers. We didn't have anything else to do back in the 90s, I guess. <laughs> But the trial is making a scene again. There's an FX uh, miniseries starring Cuba Gooding Jr. That is, obviously people are still interested in this. But who among us who, has, who saw that trial, who can forget the famous Johnny Cochran line in the closing arguments of the trial? If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. I mean, he was stomping around the courtroom as if it was church. It it doesn't fit. You must acquit. And O.J. was acquitted in that trial of all charges. However, two years later, in the civil trial, he was convicted he was required to pay out in that trial nearly fifty million dollars in damages to his children, to the families of Nicole Brown Simpson, and the families of, or the family of Ron Goldman. You probably know this. In two thousand and uh, seven, O.J. Simpson was arrested on robbery charges and sentenced to thirty-three years in prison. And currently, the sixty-eight-year-old former football star resides at Lovelock Correctional Center in Lovelock, Nevada. Where he will likely spend out his days. Here's the thing. O.J. was acquitted. He was never justified. There's a difference. He was acquitted but not justified. The files containing the evidence against him still exist. Locked away in some law offices in California... Justification means this, gang. Get this down. No record of any charges. No record of any charges. Justification is not a cover-up. It's not a case dismissed. It's not charges overlooked. Literally, justification is charges paid. In full, therefore, all previous charges erased from the books as though they never existed. Zero record of any wrongdoing. Justification means that when God looks at my life, He sees nothing that I have ever done, do, or will do sinfully again. Gone. The record is clean. My record's not clean right now. Bet you didn't know that. (laughs) Brian knows. I've shared this recently. I'll share it again. I've tried so hard to be a good driver. (laughs) I really have. You know, my whole life... And if I got a ticket, I would go through the whole rigmarole, you know, of taking the class so that you can then try to stay clean for a year so they can be expunged from your record, nothing on your record. Here I am, 51 years old, two speeding tickets on my record. Two! Some of you are like, well, I don't know, I got eight or nine there in the glove box. I don't know what that... No, I... Hey, for me, it's a mark, it's a blight on my record. My insurance company knows, and I can't even have one of them wiped off because it was within seven years of the last Anyway. I'm not a speeder. Two times in my life. <laughs> Both times I was driving a minivan. Come on. Kids are in the back. The donut man's playing on the radio. I come on, man. That's frustrating. It's on my record. And, and, you know, I can wait the requisite seven years, and, and yeah, I guess after three or four years, your insurance company takes it. But it's still there. It's still there. Pastor Rick, the speeding pastor. <laughs> Justification means whatever it was that you still labor over, that you still have guilt for, God doesn't know about. He has taken it away completely, justified, we've said this colloquially, just as if I'd never sinned, as if you were born perfect, lived perfect, and died perfect, though you wouldn't die because you have been justified. And so even our physical death, which is the consequence of sin, cannot keep us dead. We will resurrect because we have been justified. Psalm 103 verse 11. David writes, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Tell me, how far is the east from the west? It's immeasurable. Where do you cross the line from east to west? You just keep going. It's eternal. And not only that, but Paul says here we have been justified, justified as a gift by His grace. O.J. Simpson paid out millions in legal fees for his defense. My defense is a gift. I paid nothing for it. I did nothing for it. Unearned, undeserved, unmerited grace. That's justification. For by grace you have been saved and through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Not as a result of work so that no one may boast. Justified. In faith, in Jesus, you are justified. And with that gift of justification by grace, there's even more. I become a rightful heir in God's house. I have not only been saved, uh, released from the courtroom, with not a spot on my record, but I have somewhere to go. The house of God. Not the big house, the Father's house. I'm a child of God. Titus 3, verse 5, Paul writes, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that, listen, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Justification. How do I get that? Entrust yourself to Jesus. Trust your life to Him. And by the way, for all eternity, Jesus is the one who has the record. How do you know? They're on His hands. The record is on His feet. The record is on His side. Forever bearing the scars of the wounds. John said, I saw Him as if a lamb having just been slain. That's what John saw in the revelation of Jesus. And so that record remains. His scars bear the record of the death penalty fully paid. Fully paid. That's why He died on the cross. One more thing. Verse 24, you might note, says, "...being justified." being justified it's written in the present passive tense meaning it's done to me right now right here right now not 40 years ago when I gave my life to Jesus oh it happened then in the present and the next day when I woke up as a 10 year old kid in the present I was being justified And the day after that and the week after that and years after that and here 31 years later still 41 years later being justified this morning in the sanctuary by the work of God I'm justified immediately right now. That's remarkable. Because what a lot of Christians will do is we tarry on the things past. We still look back. Oh, I know I was saved 41 years ago but 10 years ago I did Such and such. Well, guess what? Ten years ago when you did such and such, you were justified through faith in Jesus Christ in the present. This morning in the sanctuary, we are being justified right now. A state of ongoing, continual justification. This is huge. I have been justified. Why is that important to know? Because (laughs) the enemy is still trying to bring me to trial. Satan is still accusing. Revelation 12.10 calls him the accuser of our brethren who has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. See, here's the thing. The time is coming when that vile prosecuting attorney will be thrown down, thrown out of court. But today, he still accuses. All you need to know about justification is, legally speaking, he doesn't have a case against you. There is no case. Justified. Justification. Paul goes on. Through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Secondly, redemption. Oh, I have justification. But that's not enough as far as Paul's concerned. He wants to come at it now another direction. Redemption. Three words are translated in the Greek, redemption throughout the New Testament. By the way, I would strongly encourage, I've told you before, if you don't have it on your shelf, get Word Studies in the New Testament by Woost or West, or however you want to pronounce his name. W-U-E-S-T. One of the best resources you can have. Greek Word Studies in the New Testament. Moose points out clearly the word redemption comes in three forms in the New Testament. Uh, Three different ways. The first one is agorazo. Agorazo, which means bought, redeemed, bought, purchased. If you wanted to go shopping in the Greco-Roman culture, you went down to the center of town to a place called the Agora. The Agora, which was the marketplace The Agora also housed the slave market. Agorazo, when applied to human beings, means shopping for a slave. Redemption, to redeem Agorazo, is to shop for a slave. And it's the word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 6.20. You have been bought, Agorazo, with a price. Therefore, glorify God. In your body. God went down to the slave market and bought you out. So glorify Him. Paul will say in Romans 6, we were once slaves to sin, now we are slaves to righteousness. But what a marvelous slavery. But wait a minute. All the apostles, all the writers of the New Testament, they refer to themselves as bond slaves. And that's why. Agarazzo. We've been bought. But agorazo is not the word used here. Another word for redemption in the New Testament is ex Just add an ex. ex which means bought out of the slave market. You see, here's how it worked. You could go down to the agora and you could agorazo a slave. Maybe for the harvest or for some work that you needed done around the house. And then you could bring them right back to the slave market when you were finished with them. And they could be sold again. And there were many slaves in the Roman world who that was their life. Bought in the market, worked for a time, sent back to the market, housed there until someone else bought them to go work for a time again and back and forth and back and forth. That was the life of the slave. But they could be ex They could be bought out. What does that mean? It means the purchase is permanent. Someone says, now I want to buy you and I want to keep you. You will now forever be a slave in my house. You will belong to me, bond slaves of Jesus. We belong to Him. You were bought and you were brought out of the slave market, never to be sold there again. Now, that's the word that Paul uses in Galatians 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us ex agorazo from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. He bought us out. Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who are under the law. Ex agarazzo, buy us out of the slave market, that we might receive, He says, the adoption as sons. Redemption. But that's not the word that He uses here. The redemption, which is in Christ Jesus, is apollutrosis or apollutrosis. Get the accent in the right place. Apollutrosis. It's not just bought, agorazo. It's not bought or brought out of exagorazo. It means purchased to be set free. Bought for release. It is also translated deliverance. The liberty. You are never going back to the slave market because you are no longer a slave. You got your papers of freedom. You are now a free man, a free woman. Romans 8.15 says, "...for we have not received a spirit of slavery..." Leading to fear again, you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. That's the redemption that Paul says comes in Christ Jesus. From slaves to sons and daughters in the house of God. Boy, if justification wasn't enough. Paul says, let me turn it this way let's explain it this way understand your redemption Peter says in 1 Peter 1.18 you were not redeemed apolutrosis or lutruo in that verse you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers was not the first three chapters of Romans futile? I mean Paul describes futility in those three different areas, those who are just completely unrighteous and those who are good people and those who are religious, it's all futile. But you were bought out of that with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless the blood of Christ. Paul says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Put that all together. The grace of God, which justifies those who believe, is actively realized in our redemption through Jesus Christ to bring us home. Last night I was reading John Bunyan, Grace Abounds to the Sinner. Little light reading before bed. And in it Bunyan writes, As I was walking up and down in the house, a man in a most woeful state, that Word of God took hold of my heart. Ye are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. But oh, what a turn it made upon me. Now I was awakened out of some troublesome sleep or dream, and listening to this heavenly sentence, I was as if I had heard it thus explained to me, Sinner, thou thinkest that because of thy sin and infirmities I cannot save thy soul? But behold, my Son is beside me, and upon Him I look, and not on Thee, and I will deal according as I am pleased with Him. Think about what that means. I will deal with you as I think about Him. Bunyan nails it. God doesn't consider me and my behavior with regards to my redemption, my justification. He thinks about Jesus. He looks at Jesus. It's to say my justification and redemption are because of how God feels about the Son. His affection for, His love for the Son is why He has justified and redeemed you and me. That's remarkable. He looks at Jesus and all the love of Father for Son is turned to you and is turned to me. The Son, whom God displayed, verse 25, publicly, As a propitiation in His blood through faith. And number three is propitiation. Go listen to the teaching. I'll tell you this much. It is a religious term. Paul uses a legal term. He uses a a, a social term regarding the slave market. And now he uses a religious term. He comes at this from three different perspectives. Isn't that interesting? He gave us three perspectives of lostness in Romans 1, 2, and 3. And all three of these words address all three of those places of lostness. And now he turns to propitiation, a religious term having to do with the satisfaction of the all-consuming fiery wrath of God against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness. 1 John 4.10 says, and this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Please go listen, at least... To the last half of Wednesday night's teaching. Because it's so vital to our faith. Propitiation. In three short verses Paul moves from courtroom to slave market to sacrificial altar to the very household of God to describe what is the fullness of our salvation. So great a salvation. But here's the question. Why does he do it? But why does God do this? I've said this before, I want to make this absolutely clear. The salvation of man is not the highest work of God. The salvation of humanity is not what this is all about. The salvation of humanity is only part of what points to what this is all about. What's that, Rick? It is to demonstrate His righteousness. It is all about the demonstration of His righteousness. Not yours. Not mine. Verse 25 continuing says, to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God He passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, he says a second time, of His righteousness at the present time. Number four, demonstration. And in all the times of reading this over and over and over, I was told, Rick, this is about you. Rick, this is for you. Rick, this is all about your salvation. And it is, but it's not the main point. Redemption, justification, propitiation are not the main point. Demonstration is what this is all about. It is all about the demonstration of His righteousness. And taken that way, we start to realize, wait a minute, He saved believing sinners... Before their sins were even paid for. Huh? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, scheming Jacob, Moses, Joshua, David, the adulterer. Go through the Hebrew scriptures and track every man and woman and look at their behavior. With few exceptions, it's not a pretty sight. And yet, if they had faith in God, though Jesus hadn't even died on the cross yet, if they had faith in God, He saved them. Their souls would go into Sheol, but not into torment, into paradise, awaiting the day of their release unto complete and total salvation. He saved them before their sins were paid for. The good, the bad, the ugly, (laughs) saved by faith. And listen, the charges against us would remain on file. We would have no claim to freedom and that fiery hot wrath of God would still be burning but for the demonstration of His righteousness. This was all to demonstrate His righteousness. What's a demonstration? It's a public display. Right? to show how something works, to express or explain something, we will have a demonstration. A public display. What did He say in 3.25? Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation. What does that tell us about the demonstration? What was the demonstration of His righteousness? The crucifixion. The crucifixion. The propitiation is the cross itself. The demonstration is what happened on it. That is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And Woost writes, It makes no difference with God whether He saves sinners before or after the cross. The cross not only exonerated God from the charge that He passed by sin before the crucifixion, but also demonstrated that when He declared a believing sinner righteous, He all the time maintains His own righteousness. Don't miss that. The demonstration of righteousness, Paul makes it clear. So that He would be, at the end of 26, just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Not only did He justify it, but He did it in such a way that He maintained His justness. Huh? (laughs) He didn't sweep sin under the carpet, gang. He didn't dismiss the case on a technicality. He didn't avoid the altar altogether. No, the sentence must be paid for God to be just the slave must be bought before being set free the wrath of god must be appeased and it was in the crucifixion god not only not only justified you and me but he maintained his absolute righteousness he fulfilled everything that had to be fulfilled His righteousness and His grace simultaneously were demonstrated at Calvary and on the cross. And nobody else could do it. Nobody else but Jesus. Remember the scene? We talked about it last week. The woman caught in adultery, thrown down before Jesus. And Jesus said, whoever is without sin among you, let him be the first to cast a stone. And from oldest to youngest, they departed. John chapter 8. And in the quiet there in the courtyard of the temple, Jesus stood up and said, Woman, is there anyone left to condemn you? And she said, No, no one, Lord. You know what Jesus did there? Not only did He show grace to her, but He fulfilled the law. How did He fulfill the law? There had to be at least two witnesses for someone to be convicted. All the witnesses had left. No witnesses, no conviction. Jesus maintained the law and showed grace perfectly. And yet in a much bigger, much grander way, God fulfilled the law. The death that must happen. There's no other way for God to be completely just. There must be full and complete payment for sin. He did that. He maintained His righteousness. But not at the expense of your life. At the expense of His own Son, Jesus Christ. That's why justification and redemption and propitiation must come by faith in Jesus. Cannot come any other way. It is only through the Son by which we can be saved. Because if we reject the Son, guess what? You got to pay. You've got to pay with your life. All the charges against you are there, except in the Son. That is the righteousness of God at work. That's the demonstration. 2 Corinthians 5.19 tells us remarkably, God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. Diogenes truly believed that through self-neglect and poverty he could find virtue he was so cynical people think there are all manner of ways to find virtue, some think wealth is virtuous the apostles did when Jesus said it's more possible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven and the apostles were shocked Because wealth was a sign of righteousness to Jews of the first century. Well, then who can be saved? With man, that's impossible. You're right. But with God, all things are possible. The only virtue, the only true virtue, my friends, is that which is given by the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. The righteousness of God. They hung on crosses to his right, to his left. And one of the criminals who hanged there was hurling abuse at him, Luke 23 39 tells us, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, And we indeed, justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man, this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Think about it between the thief's plea for mercy and his last breath, he could do nothing. He could do nothing to reverse his immediate death sentence or his eternal one for that matter. He could do nothing hanging up there on that cross next to Jesus to set himself free. He could do nothing to appease the wrath of God which was on him in that moment. So he turned to Jesus. Remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he got far more than he was even asking for. Brothers and sisters, we are the thief. We are the thief. We are on the cross next to Jesus. Outside of Christ, without Christ, there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. But turning to Jesus, we become the justified, the redeemed, the wrath of God, satisfied. We now bear, we wear the righteousness of God. Father, praise Your name. This is overwhelming truth. It is astounding, Lord. And we are in awe before You as we consider that the righteousness which belongs to you alone, which can only possibly be yours, has been given to us. Robes of righteousness by your grace through Jesus Christ. Lord, may we never neglect so great a salvation. I pray, Father, for every believer in the room this morning that we will not be a people of neglect, but a people who shout out, who declare justification and redemption and propitiation as to the demonstration of who You are. Give us words to this Father. Cause us, Lord, to to ruminate on these things, to brood over them, to, to consider, to praise You in them, to talk about them often. And to be alert to and aware of how great a salvation it is that we have in You. Hopeless without You, now, Lord Jesus, filled with a living hope by the resurrection of our Jesus. Thank You, Lord, for Your Word. Now I pray, embedded in our hearts. And Father, I pray... For the person in here this morning uncertain of justification lacking redemption Father not understanding propitiation and fearful of the demonstration of your righteousness Father for the lost among us today if there is anyone here in that place I pray that you will reach out your wounded hands Lord Jesus and grab hold of of that heart and lead the sinner home. In Jesus' name, Amen.